Construction, an industry ripe for disruption. An industry that punches well below its weight in wealth creation. An industry steeped in delays and disputes over cash. An industry whose problems can be traced back to one thing, cash flow. This show challenges the slow payment culture in construction. Are you continually robbing Peter to pay Paul? If so, this show is for you. We'll show you how you can get paid faster, improve your cash flow, and create more wealth through efficient management of your cash. The faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows. This is the Construction Cash Flow Show. And here is your host, your friendly QS, Stuart Davidson. Good afternoon, this is Stuart Davidson and this is the Construction Cash Flow Show. And today we've got Peter, Peter Toslin on, who's going to uh, talk to us about uh, construction, commercial. He's a, a very, very experienced commercial manager in the industry. And it's a real pleasure to have him with us. So, Peter, hello. How are you doing? Thank you, Stuart. Yeah, I'm fine uh, on uh, this day. Yeah. And, and yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. So how are you coping with the shutdown and, and all of that at the moment? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, we always use that word unprecedented. It's interested times. Um, uh, how people deal with it. Um, it's obviously stretching uh, uh, the leadership in, in the industry to, to the extreme. Um, as people say, we'll be judged on, on how we acted over these coming months. Um, we'll be judging that in the future and we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, tough times at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they're unprecedented times. I know you, you and me both, we've been in the industry a long time. And uh, I don't know whether you go back as far as the uh, the three day weeks and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the winter of discontent and all of that. Yeah. But, so this is quite unprecedented, isn't it? And, mm. you know, as much as we'd like to keep sites open and there are still sites open, uh, but much of the industry's closed down. How are you finding it yourself? Are you got sites that are that that are keep that are, that are carrying on going, or most closed down, or how's it kind of working out there? Yeah, I mean we're over a, a breadth of different sectors, um, and yeah, so we have um, many of our uh, our sites are are deemed necessary uh, and are still open. Um, and it yeah, it takes a lot of leadership to keep them open, um, keep them safe. Um, and uh, you know, uh, take some time and effort to 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 look at those rams, uh, look at those safe working practices. Um, despite all the the bad press and the people that want to jump on us, um, certainly working for a tier one, um, you know, we, we do get the uh, uh, the lion's share of the criticisms um, through you know a fair bit of ignorance. Um, but um, yeah, uh, leadership is trying to keep those those sites open, keep them safe. Um, yeah, this is this is short term. Um, the reason why it's unprecedented is because it is short term. You know, when you when you go through those those recessions in the past, you know, two thousand and eight, you don't know when you're coming out the other side. Uh, we know that we're coming out the other side, and it's um, a very difficult balance for everyone to 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 play at the moment to ensure that we can come out the other side sustainably. Um, and it is a shame um, that. Uh, some people are acting responsibly, getting around the table, talking collaboratively, not talking about the contract, because that's yeah. the only way we're going to come out the other side. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's why it's unprecedented, because we, you know, it's two or three months. Then what do we do? We need to be able to start up again, don't we? Sorry. 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, I think so. And I think the ones that get around the table, key. I think communication's the key, isn't it? Mm. Particularly with supply chains and suppliers, check in how they're doing, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I've been talking, exactly. Yeah. I, I've been talking around, uh, talking to some of the lawyers I know and contractual people I know, and they all kind of come up with something slightly different around how a contract actually copes and deals mm. with the situation, which mm. quite a lot of them, uh, don't in a way for various different reasons and it, there's kind of this situation kind of falls through the gaps doesn't it because mm. we've not been officially closed down by the government but yeah. we've been asked to carry on going but from mm. a health and safety point of view as you, you point out it's not always possible so I think mm. maybe uh, you know I've been thinking that maybe you could do um, get round the table collaboratively and, uh, you know, have some kind of standstill agreement where you're agreeing how you're going to move, uh, how you're going to move forward and what the heads of terms are for that. And, and really what the status of various different things you, you discuss, whether something's legally binding or not, or what mm. the status of the existing contract is or not, or whether you want to change the, um, any of the terms of the existing contract. Mm. Um, so, I think you're right. I think the way to do it is to keep in touch communication and maybe come up with some sort of level agreement. How are you finding it there? How are you finding the way those kind of collaborative talks are going? Yeah, very, very um, a mix and match, actually. We, we get some great conversations with some people that, you know, with the established relationships uh, where that trust is there um, and different way of working. So we've got some relationships we'll, we'll definitely um, just happen offline and agree a side letter or whatever you want to call it to to get through this period and then you get the others where um it, it you know it's just a tactical decision it's not strategic you know that they look to the contract mm. that's the, that's what the words the rules say that's what we're going to apply and uh yeah. with no thought to the fact that of that self-harm in three months time that you know, will they have a supply chain to, to, to deliver for them? Oh, great. I was right. You know, that's what the contract said. I'm, I'm correct. And I'm right. Yeah. Well, great. You know, tactically you're correct, but what about the strategic discussion? So very hit and miss at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's something I want to run by you being, a, being involved in tier ones is because an idea that I've been thinking of for quite some time is, is around the way that payment uh, works in construction and the length of time it takes from payment to get from the funding mm. source, maybe whether it's a, a development finance or a lender through the owner, owner developer, through the contractor and through the supply chain. And traditionally our payment terms, as it goes down the chain uh, necessarily sometimes because mm -hmm. of maybe low working capital uh, levels yeah. and that uh, gets longer and longer, you know, and I know there's been some work with the JCT, et cetera, and the uh, Fair Payment Charter to try and line the supply chain payment dates up. And, uh, but what, what I've been thinking and looking at is, could you have a situation where, particularly coming out of this, where there's some smaller main contractors, for example, might be struggling. They might have a number of projects that are on the go that uh, there's a lot of demands and pulls for their cash flow. Um, if you could have a situation where I know this might be difficult in terms of existing projects and step in rights, but you could have a, 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 an investor or the, or, or the funder lender um, taking uh, control or responsibility of payments down the line. 
so from the from from the the, the the lowest tiers upwards whereby the contractor would carry out his contract in the normal way do his valuation certifications in the normal way but once that certificate the invoice had been received by the contractor or subcontractor and the the certificate issued whether that payment could be made direct that would my idea was around that might take the cash flow pressure off of the supply chain and the um, and, and the contractor, uh, maybe even if it's a temporary measure, you know, is that what what would be your your thoughts on on that kind of process? Is could you think of anything that uh, that might step stand in the way of it? Do you think it might be a good idea or helpful or or, or not? Yeah, I suppose it's sort of pseudo project bank account, really, um, mm. is what you sort of intimated. Yeah, I think um, I think fundamentally, it's not enough. Um, uh, honest discussions about this issue and uh, and, and, and imagination as well. Um, we are stuck decades ago, you know, with these payment terms that uh, are so old school, revolve around paperwork and checks, you know, checks being paid and cashed, you know. Yeah. Um, so even at a very basic, simple level, you know, we don't have to have 28 day payments or 30 day payments or 40 day, you know, we don't have to have that, you know, and it starts with the top. It does start with the client and the funders and, we could easily have um, contracts and, and subcontracts and going down the tiers uh, at a, at a, um, just basically um, truncating those payment periods in the first mm. instance mm. Um, and deal with non-account payments, etc. Um, you know, QS is, there's a, oh, we could go off on tangent about the, the competency of QSs and their ability to get pay, subcontract payments to on time. Um, but if, if we were efficient, if our QSs were efficient, you could easily pay people within seven days, even if it's on account and deal with the account yeah. as we go through. But the, one, of the, one of the biggest things that isn't discussed about payment is it's always about payment terms. Processes, you know, the processes of, of tier ones, tier twos, uh, tier ones in the first place are absolutely quite often rubbish. Tier twos not applying on time, you know, yeah. and, and not not applying the, the the administration of the contract. Um, and then you've got the issue, obviously, of of disputed elements of that account. So you know, surely one of the biggest areas of cash flow is around the disputed area of an account, whether it be uh, on a a cost reimbursement with the disallowed, or whether it be the compensation events uh, uh, on a, on a lump sum, etc. So that area never gets explored. And that's got to be one of the biggest areas of a drain of cash flow uh, um, in the industry. I'm going to touch on retention. So these sort of methods are great to talk about, but we've actually got to fix about fix what is is the core of, of what's wrong with this industry. And obviously, Latham back in the 90s wanted to address that by fast tracking, agreeing change to get it through, uh, and that's failed. It's it's absolutely been you know almost three decades and we haven't moved on at all so we need we need to fix that area uh, fundamentally mm. payment terms we could be imaginative with that funding situation but let's just truncate the payment terms let's go down to 14 days to seven days all through the tiers just in the first instance but we do need to address change uh, change is the biggest drag really for me um, that we will continue the cash flow issues until we solve that issue Absolutely. Interestingly, on the previous podcast that I did with Mark Austin, he's he's been in the industry for years as well. I don't know whether you know Mark, but he's just set up his own uh, business, Austin Austin Wright. But he's very interested in change as well. He's saying 
similar to yourself, you know, it's the real change control. It's dealing with those disputed items, mm. you know, could you, can you think of any, are, is there any progress in those areas? You know, uh, maybe progress where, I mean, I'm a, a QS by background. Um, you know, is there any, any areas where we can do things better or, you know, can you see things moving um, in the right direction in any area at all? I think, um, you know, I, I hinted a minute ago about it is, is it competency of um, the commercial departments um, from both sides and the lack of ability to administrate. Now, whether that's the client side and, and playing the game of holding back, holding back, or whether it's a tier one, uh, whether it's a tier one holding back on tier twos, whether it's the tier twos and tier ones actually getting their change in their, con their notices in and following the process. Um, you know, fundamentally, I... Core Clause 6 in, in NEC, for example, could be made a lot easier um, and, and a lot more bite as well. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's potentially not enough bite there to, to, to fast track it. Um, so in answer to your question, I think uh, we're, we're, our, um, we're our own worst enemies in the industry. Um, we don't administrate correctly. Uh, we let the other parties get away with those poor practices and, and it drags and it drags. And... Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, I don't see uh, a particularly easy answer to that one. Um, maybe our education earlier should be a lot stronger. Um, our universities, et cetera, um, could be more um, focused on change, maybe, um, rather than, you know, such a, a certainly a, a basic uh, a construction quantity uh, span degree is very broad, but not much depth to it. Uh, maybe we could... Um, get more specific in those areas so look there's no coincidence it hasn't been fixed for, for two to three decades um uh, but yeah i see that as being the biggest drag on cash flow and until we fix that um and and people stand up and be strong you know there's you know, we know there's many people on linkedin uh with their comments and and we do have to be stronger with our clients whether it's tier two to tier ones whether it's tier ones to, to clients and and give that constructive feedback to them about about practices um uh, once again we don't have the honest discussions enough i don't think mm, i think you're expertise. right yeah and a, a lot of our clients would be uh we'd represent uh, the end client uh, developers or, or a client that's looking to invest investors and really it's for uh, for us to open up that discussion and pass mm. that information yeah. forward i think part of the problem starts with the funding source so a lot mm. of the a lot of these projects are obviously funded from somewhere, you know, whether it's government mm. funded or whether it's uh, yeah. privately funded and investors yeah. and they've got their own. They assess their own risk profile on a project. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. the initial uh, it all kind of starts from there. So there's the mm. point in time at which they apply for a, a drawdown on the project. Yeah. And then that is a slow process. And I, what I find is that funders and developers uh, or funders and investors have a slightly different viewpoint. They have a different viewpoint of risk than we do in the industry as a construction yeah. and it's kind of bringing those two together and, and joining it up because it's quite, I think it's quite siloed uh, at the moment. Yeah. I mean, for, for example, we look at, uh, yeah, one of one of our clients is doing a, a, a joint ventures with local authorities and part of the funding is through Homes England and mm. Homes England have got strict <laughs> their own strict uh, way of layers. Looking at, layers. 
yeah. layers and layers and layers. And there's one mm. small civil engineering project that we're doing. Mm. We're procuring all the civils for the projects and it's six houses and there's about 12 warranties on this. There's a huge yeah. amount of contract amendments and uh, the, you know, the, there's huge amount of insurance has got to be taken uh, on board and they're, you know, and, and what they've done is this is a modular, this is a modular housing contract and they've insisted on a JCT whereby, you know, as you know, a JCT assumes you're going to build something on site mainly mm. apart from a few little mm. exceptions, but, but what they've asked the lawyers to do is to amend the JCT contract so that it fits the, the modular delivery and and it's like you know we would see that as sense nonsensical from the industry perspective yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're looking at things that they, they don't want to yeah. do anything that's out of the box yeah yeah, yeah. You know, they're very risk risk averse and 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 it's really i think that the discussion must be to what works for them and maybe some mm. discussions getting around the table with lenders there, I think there's one organisation you might have come across, I don't know, called Greensill. And I think they're, and some of the challenger banks and are, are being more open to yeah. getting more involved in the construction process, being more aware of, uh, yeah. of the yeah. um, idiosyncrasies and the intricacies of how our yeah. payment and commercial yeah, yeah. work. And I think that's a good thing because quite mm. often it was always um, quite often it's been at arm's length, haven't you? You've got yeah. the you've got the the lender, yeah, yeah, yeah. at arm's length, yeah. and then he goes, "There's a pot of money, but yeah. we want to make sure it's safe, but yeah, we don't yeah, want to yeah. know what's going on behind the wall." You know, yeah. but I think they've got to come out from behind the wall and actually maybe we we get a bit of a joining up, you know. We've touched on many points there, you know, procurement types, you know, and, and, and procurement um, uh, departments in, in places where they've never been on a site or never run a job. And, you know, they're telling us how to run it with, without any idea. You've got the, the processes. We talked about the payment terms. Yes, great if you made it 14 days, but then you've got 10 sign-offs to do, which suddenly makes it 60 days. Um, you know, uh, uh, many times you've had the contract be X amount of days, but yet you know their, their uh, governance process won't even allow, let it get it through there and it breaks mm. it straight away yeah. i think um and the, the other bit was is alignment actually there is you know one thing i've realized over the years an absolute lack of alignment between those different areas of clients needs of contractors needs a tier two needs yeah. designers needs absolutely poles mm. apart and uh, yeah. very rarely do you get around the table and try and get an alignment you know key objectives you know joint key objectives yeah. i was at, at a, an open day the, the other month and um the client was talking about the key objectives and we're going to be collaborative these key objectives and i pointed out some have you have you sat down and and, and asked us what what we believe the key objectives are to help you get your key objectives you know and it's a bit of a light bulb moment for them really so uh, yeah um, and i think that you know i think that that comes through cash you know quite often clients aren't that bothered about the cash flow itself yes the budget and the end amount they pay but the cash flow itself doesn't quite often bother them mm. and yet they'll put these you know stringent processes in place for what what, what ends you know so, um, yeah, I think a lot of alignment in the industry over, over the years uh, definitely hinders, hinders cash flow. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, it, there, are some, there are some easy wins out there, definitely. But I, don't, I think 
we almost need some disruptors you know mm. we need more imagination we need more creativity and um i've always joked in this industry where you know we always boast that we're great at solving problems great at solving mm. problems you know problem solvers probably because yeah. we've created most of them ourselves <laughs> you know and, and yeah. uh, uh we do those profiling then we the um management and team profile and we find out they're all problem solvers and there's no creativity there at all you know mm. and i often get challenged in that and people say no no a load of creativity little designs like but actually in, in constructing contracts quite often it's um it's missing that piece is missing and uh we yeah. see that often in construction setups one other thing but the, the other point i would like to point out is um you would have liked to have thought that the the cost reimbursement models would have helped cash flow yeah. But unfortunately, uh, even that has has gone gone wrong with the with regards to uh, increased help, holding back monies and disallowed costs and what they believe to be fee cost, etc. And, and those arguments. So even that has hasn't worked like it should do. And one last point, Stuart: yeah. How are we ever going to have decent cash flow and decent working working capital if you run a business on two three percent margin? Absolutely, yeah. I, th I think that's something that really does need to be addressed. Yeah. You've got no, you've got no, nothing in reserve. Yeah. Nothing in reserve. Yep. And, and I think that's where clients really need to be aware that, you know, if they're, you know, they're causing a race to the bottom all the time. And they call it value for money, apparently. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> there's always, there's a tender price and there's the end of project price, yeah. isn't there? You know, yeah. HS2. Uh, absolutely. That's <laughs> well. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's always on. I've, I've never been a great admirer, a lover of, of competitive tendering. You know, I, I think that uh, tenders should be let on the value of, yeah, of what yeah. they what brings. It might not be the cheapest one, but it might be the way. I mean, at the end of the day, an investor wants to get their project done and they want yeah. to have a return on their investment. And so it's about the big picture of the investment profile, that appraisal, and how can you best achieve it. But I think if you if you drive costs down at tier one level, you're going to yeah. drive it down even further uh, throughout the supply chain. And what's more, if they get the timing wrong in the market, so mm. you know if if the if they're driving the tenders down at the bottom of the curve, and then you get a rising market. Yep. Where, where your input costs and your sub supply costs are going up and you've tended yeah. at a low level, the whole yeah, project is in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's a really good point, actually, you know, that whole life cycle costing and that return investment is over a long time. And yet, you know, they, they, they had this CapEx budget that they, they, they so preciously want to protect, which actually ultimately, you know, might not be the right thing for everyone. I touched earlier about key objectives and uh, there's not enough honesty in, in, in the industry with regards to what is acceptable. You know, um, yeah, double, double digit fees, not acceptable. Well, we all know double, a single digit fee will mean a very, very small margin. And, and unfortunately, that does mean people have to play games and therefore the trust starts to break down, doesn't it? And, and then, you know, and it continues from there and then the cash flow. And I've often talked about cash farming and money leaking out of projects and, mm. you know, where contractors, some contractors in the past have had to use some of the money or, or they've used money to, to get cash leads and then um, yeah. on, on property and then, and then refinancing, bringing the cash back into the project. Or it might be supply chain where they've got 10 projects on the go and they're robbing Peter to pay Paul. 
and and but it's really that's driven it's still driven i think by clients that are driving the driving the margins down mm. you know yes yeah. and i think if they were aware of the risks that they were putting on upon themselves in terms of driving margin down rather than looking yeah. at value yeah. but sustainability the phrase sustainability is sustainable supply chain tier ones tier two it needs to be discussed and i think the other thing tier, tier ones and maybe lower down as well maybe need to be more responsible with their balance sheet and understand how to create a strong balance sheet you know yeah. the, the phrase tier one's broken and you know and etc it, it comes up and and it probably is because they've moved away from look you know uh, and of having a lack of assets and a lack of um, money in the balance sheet to to prop up that contracting arm etc and uh, maybe that needs to be looked at going forward um, whether it is off-site fabrication like a rock style etc or the murphy model with their plants and and piling um, and, and just look at a bit more of a mix and match balance sheet and um, uh, model that they produce rather than just bums on seats managing a job. Exactly, yeah. Do you think um, the, uh, the new kind of NEC alliance and the alliance contracts uh, that, uh, that come in, coming on, uh, becoming slightly more, I say not necessarily popular at the moment, mm. but, but there are, you know, they are being used. Do you think they're, um, you know, there's a possibility to bring the, um parties together more in an alliance type contract than there was before no. yeah like any any contract can really and any sees you know is a clever contract with its ex clauses and there's a lot in there whether it's the alliance contract or just using some of the more imaginative ex clauses the only ex clauses i see are the puna ones yeah. now, i very rarely see the uh the, these the ones that are meant to incentivize and bring it together even, even in the partnering clause um so I, I think there's a bigger problem there, Stuart. I think there's a lack of imagination. Um, I think there's a, a protective procurement departments that, mm. you know, I, I, I joked when the, when the NEC4 came, said, oh, you're going to get some training on the NEC4. I said, what's the point? It's just going to pick the NEC4, butcher it, and hey, presto, there's an NEC3 in front of you. So, uh, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. even worse because obviously they've butchered it. So I think there's a bigger picture there about, as I say, creativity, imaginative, uh you know qs is able to create a, a really good uh contract that you know mm. talking about key objectives aligning key objectives yeah. and we're all at fault we're all have got a lack of imagination imagination there and i think that's a um i haven't said all that i think the the younger generations coming through i have a little bit more hope for mm. I, I think i think um it's starting to trickle through that what actual collaboration means and I, and I just want to jump in I, I love LinkedIn when it comes up with some of those little uh, little nuggets you get and I love the little uh, caricature of the, of the two people standing over the number one thinks it's a six one thinks it's a nine you know and I think that that sums up 10.1 about trust and collaboration mm. you know someone absolutely believes they're being honest and trustworthy in seeing that's a six. The other person is absolutely thinking they're being honest and trustworthy and think it's a nine. They're both right. Yeah. And uh, there's not enough people looking at each other in the eye and trusting each other and uh, mm. producing good contracts that, that get people working together. Absolutely. No, I think you're exactly right there. It's, it's almost traditionally we've been two sides of the fence or two sides of the wall, mm. you know, yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, the, the contract creates that them and us, yeah, and and it puts that barrier between us. And uh, but it comes down to competency and belief in yourself as well. You know, being yeah. able to be to talk confidently and competently to someone opposite you, and 
and get a, a, a good argument across to get them to trust you. Um, and too many people shy away from it and, and go defensive. I think they do. And I think the traditional uh, wording of contracts has always been to, in a way, it's a personal view, but in a way, I think they're there to create uh, disagreements, disputes, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, because disputes in construction is a five billion pound industry in the UK. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The lawyers know that they love amending yeah. contracts because they yeah. know that we're going to well, fall down the gaps. You know. Yeah, of course. They're going to get us all at it. So yeah. anything that can. Yeah, I've always been as a PQS uh, for many years as a PQS. I was always frustrated by uh, soon as soon as uh, so we we might spend a couple of years on a project before we go to tender on a large project mm. and uh so we've done all the cost planning done this mm. and that and the other and uh it was always very difficult to get real cost data uh from supply chain because you yeah it ask you well who's the contractor when you're starting well we haven't applied oh well come back to us you know when you're yeah, yeah. a contractor you know so he was always using historic data mm-hmm. but even so once we so we knew the ins by the time we got to go out to tender you'd know the ins and outs every nut mm-hmm. bolt of that project and then we go to tender and also you're responsible for the budget because you kind of helped mm-hmm. set it and cost planning and we go out to tender on a traditional contract and then what happens then is that we lose sight and control of the supply chain and the payments down the line yeah and and then it becomes the responsibility of the contractor but even though we've lost control of the cost we in in inverted commas we lost control of the cost because we're not in control of the yeah we can't yeah. we can't any longer manage those costs yeah. yeah and and um yet we uh we're still responsible for the budget but we're now yeah. out of control of the yeah. costs yeah. and but we we could you know i always felt that we could bring a lot more to the table if we could mm. um not you know you often hear about um you know de- uh, designers on a design and build um going 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 across to the um uh to the contractor but you very rarely hear about the commercial side mm. you know, but sometimes i feel that there's that siloed you know mm. whereas if we had a process where we were um working as a because we, we we come together and we we kind of build a virtual company don't we each yeah and um you know i've always felt that it should be a bit more virtual you know so if you're involved mm-hmm. in the commercials maybe if you was involved in the commercials all the way through on the yeah. same team rather yeah. than ending up and i think the contract makes us do that quite often yeah, well, we, you know, we talked earlier about the procurement method. Um, and, you know, what, one thing that is, has been good over the last couple of decades is, is um, understanding cost, e- even, even from a contractor's point of view, um, understanding that more and knowing that actually keeping that as low as possible, because obviously in the old school lump sum, remeasurement, et cetera, yeah. um, it, 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 you spent and hope you made some money. But actually get everyone getting visibility of what actually cost means and having the cost systems to do it at project level as well is absolutely key. So, yeah, the cost reimburse models are, are, are great. Um, I don't think the industry's moved on in 20 years uh, in understanding um, and creating better articulation of cost. So you know, I always love the example of uh, the NEC still got the word computing. 
I mean, we're, we're in this world of BIM and robots and 3D printing and God knows what, and they've still got the word computing yep. in, in the scheduled cost components, and it blows my mind. Um, yeah. So I think that has massively benefited, and, and obviously uh, if people are trust, you know, trusting each other, that will help the cash flow situation. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I still think there's a, um, a big lack of trust. And, and once again, obviously, you know, from contractors don't do themselves any favors i've been in many times where i've gone in and i've, I've checked what my qs is doing and they're just chucking all the costs at the client without mm. self-disallowing or taking out what they should do for fee costs etc well, what are you doing you know mm. um so we don't help ourselves often you know we uh, yeah. you've got to build that trust and say to the client look i've taken all this out and show them it you know be brave say look there's my insurance costs i've taken them out yeah. you know yeah. um you 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 said I, you, know, you don't want to pay for severance payments. There you go. I've, I've taken those out. Show them it. Be brave. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, enough, I had. Um, I mean, I've worked both sides for the client side and the contractor side and subcontractor side. And um, you're exactly right on there. I think you, if you do that, if you do all of that work and you submit uh, the changes with everything taken out that should be taken out, mm, mm. Right, yeah, you build trust. Yes. And yeah. I remember doing a project for a, it was a brick, uh, labor only brickwork firm on a really, really large project. And, uh, we were doing the, uh, we're doing the variations account and I'd been obviously been in the shoes of the, the QS that was represented developer contractor developer. And, uh, I'd done all the ads and the mitts and he saw that, uh, there was a lot of some big savings in there, mm. you know, and mm. out mm. of that, out yeah. of, doing that and adding yeah. value because yeah. it meant that he wasn't uh working all day trying to take everything out he could look mm. at the account yeah. and it would take him half an hour to do instead of all day yeah. Yeah. it was all done for him and it was adding value to his yeah. to his work life his day yeah. that yeah. package he knew that that's mm. that package is only going to take you half an hour and yeah. um from that there was four more phases on that project and he said i'd like this company to be yeah. on every yeah. phase now yeah there you go Happens every time, happens every time, but I I go and I'll always bang on about it. Big problem is lack of competency. People don't trust themselves to do it and Mm. and trust them to have that, that, that conversations and that lack of, that lack of alignment between designers, clients, tier ones, you know, um, you know, doing that takes a leap of faith to to put that in front of the clients and not going to abuse it even more, but they're going to do it anyway. So you might as well tell them. So, yeah. So I think um, it, it's a. Uh, I, I, I read an article the other day about cash flow, um, and they talked about the payment terms. You know, it's all about payment terms. And and for me, I don't. And percentage wise, uh, I reckon payment terms probably hurt people 20, 30 percent of the time. I reckon seventy percent of the time it is down to the, the change control account, but actually poor processes, yeah. time and time again. You know, whether it's whether it's the contractor's process is being poor, whether it's a client not getting it through the governance in time and getting it signed off or the PA, the purchase orders not, not increased, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, these are never just talked about. These are major issues in this mm. industry yeah. that affect cash flow. And yeah. uh, I have to, uh, I get very turned off by the conversation because it always, the first people, you know, like the pay, fair payment charter, mm. really? I mean, yeah. whatever. <laughs> that's right yeah. 
great, great, yeah. great. You got 28 days, super duper. Yeah, great. And then you go through there, some convoluted shared service system that, that takes another month to get it through because you didn't get it approved. Or whatever. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So it's governance processes. Do you think we're any nearer to finding tools that can help us improve processes at all, or do you think there's anything out there, or do you think we need to be invent uh, innovative and and come up with some uh, new new processes and tools? I suppose the processes have got to be there. I, I've never really gone interrogated why a shared service centre or um, you know getting the money out take so long um i th i think they're probably antiquated um yep. certainly some of uh, as you go up the up the uh, supply chain um are probably antiquated systems and um bum covering processes yeah yeah uh, well, yeah do you know what peter i think if if amazon can do it i know, I know. Amazon are like, you know, what we want is a one click for construction, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> That's all we want. One click. Oh, be brilliant. Oh, brilliant. And, 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 but that's, the, that's my point. Why have you got 28 days in a contract? Yeah. Why? Exactly. Why? You don't and they it. haven't changed since I was a youngster setting out in this industry. Yeah. That, that period of time, despite yeah. the advances in, um, in technology and, and software and banking systems, yeah, still twenty-eight days. Yeah, but but this is what the, but this is the problem. The industry is so insular. We judge ourselves by our competitors. There's no one that's coming in the, into the industry. You know, we've had a couple of slight change of models. Um, you know, we've obviously uh, and different procurement types. You know, you you could argue maybe maybe the mace mace model maybe Cisco before that maybe disrupted a little bit, only a little bit. But no no, you know and. And everyone that gets to the top just have come through the industry. There's mm. no one, you know, name one CEO that's come from outside the industry. Yeah. You know, why, yeah. why, what, why, yeah, what, yeah, get, get someone in, be brave, yeah. get, some, get a CEO or a board, you know, a board that are, are from Amazon or Google. Exactly. Uh, be, that's be what awesome. we need. That's, that's what, what we need. need. Yeah, it's a bit like the Premier League, isn't it? It's a closed shop and, yeah. and all the managers are ex-pros, ex-footballers, yes. you know? <laughs> Go around um, circles. <laughs> yeah, get someone in who's played a different sport or someone yeah. who can watch them. Because you find with players, when they're on the pitch, they, they, they have a, uh, a view of the game that mm. is not an overview. They only can see what's in front of them, yeah. can't they? But if, yeah. you're a, if you're a coach, you're, you're seeing the whole of the pitch. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the bit that says, Stuart, that, that difference yeah. between tactical and strategic and mm. uh, the mistakes uh, of contractors and that, that go under, you can talk about Koreans and the ones that struggle, you know, the mistakes they made, um, really, you know, that lack of strategic thinking about, you know, where is this going, where is it leading to? But uh, yeah, I mean, I've got this, I've got this massive wish. I, I, I look forward to the day when our industry is disrupted. I really do. And only, and I suppose other than that, maybe the youngsters coming through, them being imaginative, them being, you know, they talk about the snowflake generation. They talk about the X and the Y's and all this sort of stuff. Maybe a younger generation with a different mindset may change this industry uh, more than it's ever been. But um, I wouldn't say with the existing leadership dare i say it the existing crowd i think they're uh, <laughs> we're so steeped in our culture and traditions and you're right it probably take the youngsters to come in because they they're they're at the forefront of the transformation of, of yes. ai the technology the yes. machine learning yeah you know, yep. and and they're, they're they're aware of uh, you know aligning new values mm. 
mm. and aligning new values to their clients and, and all of this sort of yes. stuff. And, and there is a, is a new, perhaps it, you're right. Perhaps it is a new yep. generation that's really got to take this forward. Yeah. I've so. always felt that, that construction punches way below its, its weight in terms of wealth creation. And maybe they could just come through and it just needs that innovation that, as you say, mm. being disrupted. Yeah. You know, I think construction could really, really punch above its weight if it oh, gets yeah. processes in that right. Yeah. You know, you go on jobs and, and the jobs, the stuff that we build, the prob, you know, the, the things we get over and the oh, things we solve really? are phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we can't run basic cash flow. I know. It's ridiculous, <laughs> isn't it? it? Yeah, you know, and but we are we are very much we just got to get the job built, and uh, uh, and unfortunately that gets in the way of a lot of stuff. You know that attitude about getting it built and it creates a lot of problems. It does. But in a way, I suppose the construction industry is is full of entrepreneurs because they 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 create a business every time they do a project. Of course, a hundred percent. But and and that's a really good point, Stuart, because a lot of them aren't. You know, and. and be careful what I say aren't businessmen mm. they're great at delivering a project but then you know they're not businessmen and and it's a really good point 20 30 years ago you know an engineer and a, a site manager just had to build the job a little bit of health and safety on the side and uh you know a QS on the right hand side now we've got planners we've got obviously the designers coming in you've got HR uh you've got the BIM world you know yeah they have to be business leaders now and once yeah. again you know we promote the people that can deliver but not necessarily aren't necessarily the ones that are going to run that business well in the right culture the right behaviors uh, etc and uh, we haven't moved quickly enough into really assessing those job descriptions and and the traits we really want from those leaders um, yeah. we still look for the ones that can deliver the job and promote them first uh, to a certain extent i think it's changing mm. but uh, a bit slow I think I think you're right. Yeah, they, and and again, they're coming from within the industry. Mm. So, if I was to ask you then, um, just an off the cuff question, okay? Yeah. If you could have a dinner with one leader, he could be outside the industry. Yeah. Uh, who would that be, and where would it be? One leader. Gosh. Um, and where would it be? Yeah. As in. <laughs> Why? Where would I have my meal? It was just a random question, just to go <laughs> for a bit of fun, really. Well, I think um, you know, I, 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 I do. Uh, I tell you what, I was going to say Boris, but actually, do you know what? I go for Jeremy Corbyn. Which are? Okay. I tell you why, because I think um, his views in the modern world uh, are are so stark in the modern world, and and. Um, sort of against the current way of thinking with capitalism and, and globalization, etc. Um, I'd love to know, uh, get under the skin of that alternative viewpoint of, of how to, to run the country, because um, they are so so different. And mm. you know, he's obviously you know he's not stupid. He's an intelligent man. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, thoughts about um, how to, to run the world and 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 what 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 he'd really do to make it make it work because obviously he didn't get that belief from the voting public uh but he obviously still believes in it so i'd love to know why what didn't he articulate to us that that, that thought it was going to work because i'm fascinated by that discussion and where would i have it i'll just have it at mcdonald's yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it yeah why not 
so, uh, yeah. Because Boris, you know, it, it, it's the art, you know, the archetypal Etonian, um, uh, and and the, the modern way of thinking. You know, we know we we we're fully aware of all those thought processes. But but Corbyn's in the modern world was very very different, and uh, um, yeah, fascinated by it. Yeah, I should imagine he'd be a fascinating person to have dinner with. Actually, mm. you know, yeah, he's another one of these guys that has had views that have been uh, really really criticised. You know. Mm. Been um, caricatured and yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's got through it. He's kept going. So he's yeah. stuck by his values, mm. and I think sticking by his values, he's he's got through. I I must admit, I mean, I he he has improved. I think as a leader, I mean, I think he improved in his when he in uh, in uh, um, prime minister's questions. Mm. He improved in his as a speaker. Yeah. So he's still yeah. learning, improving, developing. Mm. Um, I wouldn't agree with all of his, uh, I think his core beliefs go back to, um, you know, the original kind of forms of socialism, yeah. but yeah. I think perhaps where he never, you know, perhaps where he wasn't able to articulate how we'd apply that in a modern world. Yeah. And, and that's the point. Can, can social, that form of socialism, yeah. that's why I'd be fascinated to know why he believes that could work in the modern world. Um, and then we have this, obviously, with COVID, turning the world upside down. And uh, once again, you know, some great little stuff where you got the, uh, um, now, of course, we can't work from home. We've got to, you know, we've got to travel. We've got to go here. We've got to do it, whatever. And then Mother Nature says, hold, hold my beer. Yeah, I, I've got something to say to that. And all of a sudden, yes. you can do, you can do these things. So, um, and the other thing, Corbyn, obviously, he comes, for me, he comes across as very um, cold and hard. And I'd, I'd like to see if there is a, a warmer side underneath that that person um, because I didn't think that 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 came out enough. Um, you know, it comes his policies are meant to be caring, but it didn't seem to come across in a very caring way, as mm. ironically, um, and and therefore obviously disenfranchised and disenchanted a lot of people because of that. I think. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, there you go, Corbyn, because I think he's a fascinating person in the modern world. And certainly with the world that's been turned upside down, you know, who's to say what you can and can't do? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know, interestingly, I was asked a similar question uh, by Richard Stone when I was on his podcast. And I said, um, it, it, yeah, he put me on the spot and I said, Nigel Farage. And I'll tell you why I said Nigel Farage. Not necessarily because I agree with everything he says, yeah. but I think he's charismatic. But he's, he's similar to Corbyn in a way. Mm. Why I think he was probably similar way to you, you, you would, have dinner with Corbyn mm. I I said I'd like to have dinner with Nigel Farage because he's been around in politics for such a long time mm. and he's been through such a barrage of public uh, <laughs> criticism yeah. Yeah. and like the pair of them have really yeah, and have, yeah. when you put yourself out in politics you become public public property don't you yeah you know you're you're even they even know your home address I mean it, it's yeah. you, you become public yeah. public property and to get through all of that, it's almost like being mm -hmm. trolled every day in a way. Yeah, yeah. High yeah, level. Yeah, yeah. And these guys have the resolve to mm. get through that. So yeah. what is it about yeah. them that, you know, even though they're, but they're still pressing on with what mm. they believe and what their policies are. Yeah. They still achieve things. Um, maybe it's they're, they're very clear on what their values are. You know, they're yeah, very of course. clear yeah. on yeah. what their core yeah. beliefs are and they, that allows them to keep mm. it going because they, they just seem unwavering. You know, you think, 
I think with both of them at certain points in their careers, you know, you kind of thought, well, why don't you just give up? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think they, they do. I suspect they probably do have some personality traits that psychologists uh, would have a, a field day with. That's for sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, but that's the point of. But that's the reason they're going going for that meal with Corbyn or, or Farage because you know you said there about whether you agree or, or don't agree. What's the point of having a, a meal with someone you, you're going to agree with everything they talk about? You know, exactly. you want to have a you want to have a good debate, don't you? Of course, you know? you do. exactly. Yeah, that, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And um, so that's good. So, yeah. So. It's been really good having you on the podcast, Peter. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it's been, yeah, it's been great, Stuart. Cheers. And yep. um, so we'll wrap it up there. And yep. uh, yeah, it'd be nice to have you on again. And yeah, it'd be great. You're, uh, you know, um, and, and to catch up, particularly maybe in a couple of months' time when mm -hmm. we might be coming out of uh, the, the lockdown and things might yep. be starting to get back together to maybe do this again and just see how things are going, you know, and, and yep. what our what our experiences are so uh thanks very much peter so thanks yeah. for inviting me Stuart. been awesome okay so everybody that was peter toslin hope you really enjoyed the podcast this evening so this is Stuart davidson the construction cash flow show signing off see you in the next podcast thanks very much this was the construction cash flow show with Stuart davidson thank you for listening and remember, the faster cash flows, the faster wealth grows. <laughs>